you know, we are so happy today to have Luke on with us. Um, Luke is joining us all the way from Australia, I believe. Is that correct? That is correct. Thank you very much for having me today. Uh, No problem. So, buddy, I'll have you take it away. I know you might want to ask some questions, so I will turn it over to you. All right. So, um, real quick, I know I kind of invited Luke to come onto the podcast with us. Okay. Um, but I'm not sure what you know about our podcast or, or what we're doing. So, so essentially, Authentic Stories, our podcast, is we feel that everybody has their own story, you know, mm-hmm. and we think that everybody should have the opportunity to share that story. You know, we all have a testimony and we've all been through ups and downs and struggles. And, you know, we've all experienced life in our own unique perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and if if by interviewing people like yourself and and other people and sharing that story, we're able to help impact somebody's life in a positive manner, then we're meeting our goal as authentic mm-hmm. stories. So that's kind of just a brief, quick, um, down and dirty kind of what why we started authentic stories and and what our goal is and and how we want to try to make a small impact uh, for change. I think that's actually quite an amazing thing because, like you said as well, we all have our own perspectives from our own experiences. So by sharing those perspectives with other people, most definitely it's our best way of learning or broadening our horizons of what we actually know and understand around us. Yeah, exactly. Um, So thank you so much for joining us and taking time out of your day um, to spend a few minutes with us. Um, It means a lot. Why don't you kind of introduce yourself? Who are you? Um, what do you do for a living? Just kind of give us a, a quick little background. Well, my name's Luke. Um, I come from a background of chefing. So for 25 years, I've been in our kitchen, in and out of kitchens. Um, this ranges from the smallest cafes to larger brigades. Uh, to most recently, a few years back, I did two years worth of training in Michelin while I was living in Germany. Uh, that was a very fun and unique experience, definitely. Um, but now uh, I came back to Australia uh, after living in Germany. We got back just before COVID hit and <clears throat> everything started to go a little bit sideways. Um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do for work. Um, and I put a proposal out to my yoga group um, if anybody wanted some help in their own homes during the COVID period you know just cost savings it wasn't about work it was just more about reaching out to the community and seeing who needed help and then from that I got two families who reached out to me that um, have their family struggles with their ins and outs and daily lifestyles because the children that they have are all on the spectrum for autism Mm-hmm. So what I do now is I basically go in and help with kitchen preparation, meal preparation, uh, textural aversions. So trying to find maybe say one way of doing something that isn't liked, but then replicating it into another form. Um, and then going into the next level where the kids are starting to get older now. So they're going into looking into their own, taking their own lives 
uh, from 18 onwards. So I help with meal preparation and planning for them, teaching their skills, teaching basic cookery skills. So it's been a really wonderful journey now going from uh, being in the kitchen, running everything to now helping facilitate people uh, find their own way in the kitchen, which is absolutely far more rewarding. So, so essentially you've taken your chef career Mm -hmm. and instead of just, you know, being inside the kitchen and cooking and, and doing that, you've taken it to a whole new level where you're actually like training individuals and teaching them how to live a healthy lifestyle, how to cook healthy food, how to meal prep, how to plan out, how to essentially even, even how to create a shopping list and, and whatnot and live a healthy lifestyle. So not only are you like cooking, but you're able to pass, pass those skills on to, onto your clients who in turn can pass that on to other people. Right. That's right. And that's where like, again, from being in the service industry and providing for people, it's now in a state where, you know, it's like the, give a man to fish or teach a man to fish. Mm-hmm. It's better off teaching these people self-sustainable life skills uh, from an imparted person who has known the industry. We're not talking about training people to be chefs, but incorporating just small little things like uh, in the kitchen we would call mise en place. So put everything in place. So when you're looking for something, you know where it is. When you're in your pantry, you know if you've run something out. You know when you're about to cook a dish that you've got all the meal preparation and done in part. So, you know, you're halfway through a recipe and you realize you've got to finally dust the something else and then all of a sudden your onions are burning and you you've caught yourself out and that's where the failure starts to happen. And a lot of people experience failure around food and in the kitchen and it's an essential part to what is a life bringing for us you know Mm -hmm. my background as a kitchen um i've had very poor eating habits myself buddy you know some of the insights i wish i shared with you but it's about re-educating relearning and rewiring Uh, i'm going through the process of doing my training and assessment at the moment to teach basically young apprentices if i wanted to But as I got through that study, I started to have quite a cognitive dissonance, which was that I was in a conflictive state that to educate and train more chefs into an industry in which I don't respect anymore because of some certain circumstances, uh, pay development, understanding just lifestyle uh, of the kitchen, how people treat one another, uh, I couldn't bring myself anymore to... Uh, train chefs to go into an industry that I don't particularly believe in. So now I've tried to reform that niche into people who are still passionate about what they want to do, still learn and do all that, but doing it for people who have that incentric motivation as opposed to being told I need to do this for a job because, again, that without that motivation, it's very hard to teach passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's fantastic. Like, um, I really appreciate you sharing that and, and kind of going into an explanation for us and for our listeners. Um, can we take a, a step back for a second? And what kind of got you into wanting to be a chef? Like, how, how did that come about? That's actually a really good question. Um, when I first I got out of high school and I couldn't cook for the life of me, you know, I'd burn toast, I'd cook, <laughs> cook, cook two-minute noodles for four minutes and there'd be a soggy mess and... You know, I just became very bored with food and I was working as a kitchen hand in a, uh, a motel type thing. And there was a German chef there, actually, ironically. 
and he cooked me a Salisbury steak for the first time. And I sat down and it was the first time I ever experienced like joy around food. That was what was really, really cool. And to me, I got questions and there was an opportunity. Um, people who I was working for, they knew somebody in Anglesey, which is like the local coastal town around here. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for an apprenticeship. So I thought, well, why not? How, what could be bad about learning in a kitchen about how to learn food? Oh, how I was so wrong. <laughs> but in saying that, it was an unbelievable skill and a life skill that I've taken with me all my life. Like I've traveled the world. I've been able to uh, adjust and incorporate in many different lifestyles and work and life, uh, given the skills that I've learned. So me, why I wanted to get into it, I wanted to learn how to cook. I very much loved and saw how food brought people together. So for me, like my mother's cooking, not chef standard, but it's a wholesome experience. It's a wholesome love. It's when I go see my mom again and she's cooked a a nice bowl of chicken and veg soup. On a chef level, it's not so great. But on a heart level, there's no restaurant that can compare. You know, and that's that thing that I try and integrate within myself and within the other clients as well because we all have it there we all have the ability to really enjoy food it's just unfortunately life becomes in the way sometimes yeah okay so um you know i've kind of picked up uh, um throughout this discussion that there's kind of some animosity with you and what i hear you saying is like this the industry or the chef world Mm. can can you kind of explain that a little bit more? Now, given that my experience is solely a personal part, because again, I don't want to generalize to say that every across the board is the same. Right. Um, the problem with the industry is that a lot of people who form into the industry are sort of what would be classed as riffraffs. So people who didn't get to go to university, didn't get, I wanted to be a psychologist. That was my first initial passion. But unfortunately, university said I wasn't smart enough. And then as a mature age student, there wasn't enough room to do so. So that unfortunately depicted where I wanted to go. The other option was sort of working in the kitchens or working in supermarkets because my level of skill uh, was only, was nothing. I didn't have anything. So in the kitchen, especially when I started about 2003, it was on the way, the phasing out period of the really bad, like prior to that and the industry, which I've spoken to other chefs about, you know, it was far, far more abusive uh, environment because a lot of the times people who were in the higher ranking were under pressure. They are under life skills. They're not happy. So that is a, a trickle effect. So being at the top as well and learning that, I realized that as soon as you start to become unhappy, it starts to come into your food. It comes into your brigade. It starts to infiltrate everywhere. And that's one of the reasons why I rose to the top very quickly because I couldn't stand working for people who just threw out abuse. That was not like a lot of people have the understanding of like Gordon Ramsay or these other aspects of just people yell, yell, yell. It is. There is an element to that. There is a part where it can be abusive and demoralizing. And that was something that I received a lot of the time, like abuse through my apprenticeship years was to prove my worth. Mm-hmm. I had to catch a extremely hot tray from the oven 
because it was thrown at me. Wow. You know, so if I didn't catch it, it would hit me. And it was actually the day that I did that. I was washing the dishes and the, the head chef courteously, courteously called out my name and then threw it. And I looked up and grabbed it like that, like a hot metal tray, burning my hand. And I'm looking the chef straight in the eye and then just dropped it and then just carried on with my work. Now, that is what I had to do to prove myself in the kitchen. And that kind of abuse is something that I've seen extend over my period of being in the kitchen and multiple, multiple levels of abuse, sexual, physical, mental, the, the works is a, the whole lot. So without a supportive team or supportive leaders, you are ultimately seeing a lot of people's lives they can be destroyed because of other people. And a lot of the people who suffer the most of that are apprentices. So the people who come into the kitchen are young, they failed school or they weren't so good at school. So they want to do something else. Some people come into the industry with like just wanting to learn, wanting to do more, but then you get really shit teachers. And some of the stories that I've heard as well, like there was one, uh, it was a chef, who wanted to play a trick on an apprentice and told him to lick the spoon, which he had put in liquid nitrogen. The spoon stuck to his tongue. He lost all his taste buds. Mm. They think that's funny. They think that's hazing. But all honesty, that poor kid's life is completely destroyed in an industry he wanted to learn. Yeah. So... So these are some pretty strong, you know, environment and... Mm and abuse that, that you're talking about. So for you personally, did that have an effect not only in your work um, environment, but did that trickle into your, your own personal life and into your home environment? What kind of effect did that take on you as, as an individual? That's a really, really good question because it absolutely like it was consuming because when you're working anywhere between 60 to 100 hours a week there's not much room for anything else so you my first marriage failed um not saying it was because of that industry there was multiple different reasons for it but i was an extremely unhappy person in that life and i didn't know what to do i didn't know how to Uh, process what was going on around me I didn't know how to process the servitude that I was giving in kitchens especially at the head chef level without any kind of love or feedback or just appreciation and then you start to consume yourself and abuse your body so my body now at 38 has a uh, very I have screwed shoulder I have a really bad back and these are all for pushing my body in an industry that didn't give anything back to me mm-hmm. so I just want to take take a moment to acknowledge like that yeah. that trauma that you went through you know because really and truly it was it was traumatic you That's know the- so exactly right the trauma part like and that's the other thing now i've been going through uh the last two years very intense psychotherapy so i've been lucky enough to choose my own self uh for health and realizing that i needed needed to work through some of the trauma that i experienced through the kitchen and a lot of people don't have that opportunity to do so so i um 
I realized, and with the therapist that I was working with, is that I put a lot of my own self-worth and self-value by being told how I should be. Because in the industry, or my experience in the industry, that's how it was. You know, working at a high-level admission star, you're there to don't speak any English, don't speak any German, don't speak any Italian. You're there to run a brigade that there was no one else that would step up, but you get abuse after abuse after abuse after abuse after abuse. And you wonder why 10 people have walked out crying and never come back. And I'm talking about walked out and never came back for their tools. So at what point, or I don't know if there was an experience or like what kind of made, made that difference? Like what clicked for you that you realized like, Hey, like this is not healthy for me. Like I'm losing myself. I'm losing who I am because of all the abuse like is is there a point that that kind of like clicked with you or 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 something that kind of tipped the boat over or, or... that's actually that's a really good question because it's uh conflicting with whether i was in my life and how i accepted abuse was a very big part of the perception in which i received as well so i accept i had abuse through my life all through my life starting with my stepfather and so for me abuse was something that was normalized to a degree so for me to find my inner strength and to be a man I needed to be able to be resilient to that or not feel to that or not be emotionalized to that which is unfortunately a lot of the case for men too we sweep it under the rug we put it there we don't really face it we don't know how to often most of the time we struggle to talk with other men um, in regards to it, we struggle to pass that down to having a communication with women because sometimes there's a differentiation between understanding of the two languages. So it does. It For me, the turning point was the Michelin restaurant. Um, I had worked and copped abuse and copped abuse and copped abuse. And I think it was... <clears throat> It was the I had asked to step down from the position I was gun manager, so I was running the the entree section and the first part. So it's the most intense part of the kitchen. And when I first said that, I said, "Look, I'll give it a go, I'll give it a try," but then got way too much. So I asked to step down, and somebody stepped up, but then they left, and then nobody else stepped up. So then I had to get I got put back up. But there was no appreciation for the fact that I just still turned up every day, that I still did the best I could. I never went in there and said, I knew everything. I went in there and said, you need to show me, you need to teach me. Because that's part of that communication problem in kitchens. Head chef, this is my dish. I want you to make it exactly how it's supposed to be done. I've never seen the end result. I don't know what you're talking about. It's all in German for starters. You need to work with me on that. And that's when I realized that a lot of the chefs in the industry are very poor communicators and very poor leaders. So <clears throat> I saw a man also who spent 27 years getting a Michelin star every year for 27 years, who had no children, who put everything into his restaurant and who was working under the umbrella of um, a hotel too so then they changed hands and unfortunately they didn't want to go michelin way that he wanted to so it was all taken away from him 
Mm. So I saw there and then, again, everybody has their own responsibilities for it, but I saw then and there somebody who invested their entire lives into a reputation that sacrificed everything. And in the end, it was just taken away. Again, it's not saying that it was his taken. There was a, there's perspectives on both sides. And I saw right. him go, go on to a, a better lifestyle, so to speak. It was a bit sm- smaller. Um, but it was those turning points I realized. It's like, oh, my God, these people have worked all their lives for a glorification because that's all that really is in the kitchen is about reputation and being known because otherwise you're just another grind in the gear, gear in the grind. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's, that's quite a story that you have to share. Um, And you've definitely been through, through quite the traumatic events. How do you think that um, dealing with the trauma from your childhood, that abuse, the trauma with the industry in, the, in that world, how has the recovery from that and talking and going through counseling or, or whatever steps you're taking to recover and work through that, how has that process been for you and, and where are you at with that? It's been a really interesting journey because for the reality that I once knew and how, so like leading up through my years of, especially with men. So men for me was that I grew up in a household of women. My stepfather passed away when I was 13. My real father I didn't see. And leading up to my stepfather was also gay. Um, That's a whole nother story. And he his unacceptance in the world unfortunately generated and passed down onto me. So me, I struggled a lot in the world of how I was supposed to be a man. Um, So what that meant, because all I saw was men being abusive. I saw men unemotional. I saw men that were closed off and would not face or do anything. But I was raised by my mother and that was to be about emotion and that was about to be communicate and that was to be able to talk about what it is is inside. So as I progressed through my career, um, because of that constant need of approval from a father type figure, I went into a lot of kitchens that all had male leaders. So I constantly tried to serve that void in myself by looking at these males to create some sort of significance. But when that that significance for me became abuse. So I learned the two and compared the two together. So that carried over into my relationships. So like my, with my ex-wife or my, my wife currently, sometimes I can be misconstrued or can get confused because feedback can be very defensive at times because I'm used to being in a defensive state. So what I've been working through now is regulating emotion. So um, a lot of the time it was being closed off and not being able to share. Or So I have a good group of friends, but you're included in this, that we have a gentleman's group. We are able to discuss and just be open. And that 
has been a huge part of the healing process for me as well because what happened was is that my original brain knew a world of a fabrication that I created of comfort and meaning, which had a lot of falsities to it. Whereas now I start to realize that there are good men in, in life. And I start to realize that if I align and talk with these types of people that I realize I'm not so much alone and that the old school abusive male is actually something that needs to be fate or will eventually phase out, I believe. Yeah. Because again, we, we, when I was growing up, it was like the sensitive new age guy. And that to me was extremely confusing because being raised by women, it seemed to be the right thing to do, to be polite and have manners and do the uh, chivalry. Chivalry is something that I find quite fascinating as well, because you don't see many people that go through the process of not not servitude, but just being genuinely nice, being a gentleman, holding a door open for a woman. Oh my God, I've never seen many people do that. See, that kind of stuff, you give them a high five. So it's a, it's a really interesting, interesting journey of how do we all fit into society, but also how do we fit into our own society? Because we constantly live in our own universe or our own realm, our perception. And I think the biggest thing that I was open to was that the singularity perception that I had about certain things of kitchen, especially, it can be flexible. It doesn't have to be the way that my mind sets it to be. And that's been the journey in which I want to impart onto others. So if I work with apprentices, passing on skills is a great thing, but passing on the ability to learn about respect in the kitchen, to be able to go through that benefit, but in a structured way so that the people aren't getting a very confusing mixed message. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, I know Nick has been kind of just sitting there and taking everything in. So let's, let's kind of hear from, from Nick and, and hear your take on everything that you've been taking in. I'm just listening. It's... Wow, you really have a great story, man. Um, I guess a question I would like to ask, though, how is it like working now with, you know, the children from, uh, from autism? You said autism, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, or from the autistic, you know, yeah. That's been, that's been a really, it's actually really interesting because they, I've learned more about myself in the time that I have working with the families than I have working in the kitchen because, one, it's very interpersonal. So you get the personal thanks sometimes. Uh, sometimes you don't. It can be, it's about building that communication with them. Um, but it is a beautiful and very rewarding experience because, like for me, to have um, trust. So a child, coming who say for example one of my clients when i first started working he would come out with curiosity he was very i was new i was somebody in the house so COVID again had hit so nobody was had hadn't seen anybody so after a few whiles it was like okay cool hi bye and then he put in recommendations i cook something and it's like oh my god this is really good and then you build just that little bit of trust and just that little bit more trust okay and it is, it's like as much as the, the challenges for me through it has been just 
I go with what I know in the world. I know structure, I know systems, I know how to work and I know how to help uh, modify. So it's about le- in the time it's learning how the families work, making sure that um, uh, now, for example, the, the son that I was speaking about before comes out, has chats with me. He will cook, come to the kitchen, he's cooked. He's cooked for the family uh, when I'm not there as well. So these little things are amazing um, to see uh, progression just going from what was a normalcy to mm-hmm. parents being able to see their kids go and understand in another level. I try to be very patient, try to be work with them on their terms because it's not about me. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing that, you know. Uh, thanks for providing that learning experience, you know, to those the families and you know kids with autism and so forth. You know, um, I guess uh, you said you're from Australia, right? Mm-hmm. Then you went to Germany. That's right. Uh, how has it been, like from a culture perspective? You know, living in Australia. Then you know, going, working in Germany. Then I guess moving back to Australia. Yeah, there's there's a few things I can definitely point on that. That was um, so. Reason why I went was my wife now is German. We met okay. in America traveling, and um, we started to we 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 hooked up in Vegas and we said, look, this is where it's going to stay. We had our fun, and then we got married um, in Germany. Because uh, she came to Australia, I went over there. And to answer your question, the biggest shock for me was here in Australia, we're very friendly. We like to talk. Okay. You'll say hello to your bus driver and all that sort of stuff. Whereas German, they're very efficient. And okay. I think the hardest thing for me to adjust was two things, the tone. So when my mother-in-law and my uh, wife were talking, I would constantly be like, are you- are you guys okay? Are you yelling at each other or what's going on? And she's like, no, no, we're just having a normal morning conversation. I'm noted. Oh. Okay. And then um, like service. So when I go to the supermarket or something like that, I'm, uh-huh. I'm, just, I'm just a chatty, but they don't want to chat. <laughs> I see. I see. That was the, that was the interesting. Uh, um, so, Germany versus Australia, you know, which country you preferred like working in? I know you said you have like 25 years of cooking and being a chef and so forth. Which culture embraced you the more the most? <laughs> I would definitely say like returning back to Australia, I have been embraced with this new formality unbelievably. But while I was in again, as much as I spoke about the Michelin style and the it being uh, an aggressive state. It was also um, a very rewarding in that aspect because you go over there and for the first time in my life when I was working in there, I felt like a professional. I didn't feel like somebody here in Australia who was just in the kitchen to meet and make ends meet or waiting to go to university or something, something like that. Those were people uh-huh. were driven and passionate about their work and passionate about their food, like unbelievably. Mm. And that was something that was new to me. Um, that kind of professionalism and that care was just amazing. I, it was it was almost energetic to a certain degree but that's what I realized that 
when I first got into that kitchen, they said to me that I was just a cook, even though I had spent 25 years in the kitchen, running kitchen for Gates, that their perception of what I had done with the simplification of food, it's not, wasn't that, you know, when I was running pubs or anything like that, it's three components, salad, chips, and uh, some sort of meat. Uh, whereas, for example, one of the dishes I was working with uh, had, I think it was about seven or eight different components to it. And they were like just, and that was working with liver. So, you know, you'd have liver terrine, you'd have liver ice cream, you'd have pieces of foie gras, you'd have a brioche, you'd have the fruit that was going with it. So in that certain, it would be um, quince so, or apples. So you've got all these different elements, jellies, foams, everything like that, which to me, I fundamentally felt like a rock star learning. I felt it was really cool. And I thought a lot of people should have that kind of level of experience, but it is also very hard to realize that I was used to abuse. So it was, it was something that was tolerated, but it really shouldn't have been. Nice. but it's good i'm glad i've come back here because like as buddy was saying too i had a meeting today with a new client um okay. i'm going to be working with a yoga studio okay. who i've been working with before and i will be doing all the yoga retreats sweet so business is expanding <laughs> absolutely <laughs> okay so thank you so much for sharing um i really want to kind of like tie this back um, to kind of something that you brought up at the very beginning. Um, You talked about food bringing people together um, and talked about, you know, kind of like the heart and, and kind of, that's kind of from what I've heard and, and listening to you and even knowing you, you know, you're a very caring individual, you know, you appreciate reaching out and helping those around you. Mm -hmm. um, And I believe that you live your life, um, in a way that has a positive impact on, on those that you come in contact with. Thank you. So a follow-on question that I would like to ask is, where do you see yourself from here? What, what is the next step? How are you going to continue to pr- progress from, okay, you've been here, you got out of the industry that was abusing you, you know, you have this new niche that you're working in, um, you're getting these new clients, but where do you see yourself five years from now, 10 years from now? How do you, how do you see yourself as an individual and, you know, as a business um, entity? So let's take away limitations. Okay. So limitations being our own perspective. So I could say to you that I want to go to the moon, but that is an unrealistic expectation. In this part here, five years from now, I would really love to have a mobile unit component. So being that I would have a nice big mobile kitchen that could have, say, facilitate three or four people in there to do training or anything like that. So I would be working with schools, um, home education programs, uh, youth programs, and also eventually I would like to branch out to training certain groups, so fathers, mothers families so people who who have kids who are very passionate about food who have parents who are about passionate about food that want to take it up to that next level because again with the qualifications that i have i want to be able to create 
training programs that give certain cert- cert- uh, certifications, uh, so food handling, uh, basic basic skills um, that will be able to generate down the track. So our industry definitely is suffering right now. It's in hospitality. There is not many people out there, not especially good chefs. Uh, there are some really good ones. Um, the local school that I went to uh, now has actually one of the chefs who I idolize of our local community. She is an amazing, amazing chef um, and very passionate about the industry and teaching the next generation. So as much as I have complained about it, I like to think that there are a lot of people who have the same perception and are going about it in their own way to change it. And I'd like to do that on my end by doing it in a more personalized setting. So kitchens are loud and noisy, and some of the kids that I work with that they will need different environments to get the same qualifications. But the, the, way, the way that I have, we've been learning about teaching and training now is that there are many ways in which we can get the same outcome. It just means that each individualized person is going to take a bit different way of getting there. And I want to run more cl- more smaller classes that are niche and then training other people to do more what I do as well. So I've come undone because I want to help everybody. I've had lots of families reach out to me that I unfortunately have to turn away because I just don't have the time to be able to go in and do the work that I do for everybody. Two is manageable for me. Uh, idealistically, I'd love to have a brigade. I'd love to have a team that we work closely together, that it's like a collective where we are working as a hub, food generating ideas, dietitians, nutritionists, uh, physical activities, yoga, mental wellness. So creating a better consciousness uh, for people of all walks of life. That's that's amazing. Like just listening to you talk right now and kind of go through your list of plans and goals and where you want to be. Like honestly, that just gives me chills and I'm just I'm so excited. I'm super excited for you. I'm super excited to like know you and like you know, even from a distance like have a, a small part in in your dreams and your goals. Um, so I know just speaking for myself and and I can speak for Nick too. And this is like, you know, we're here to help you, you know, whatever way we can, you know, although we're literally halfway around the world, um, never stopped us before, you know, we are here to help you. Um, you know, that's, that's what we, we, we like, you know, we love, you know, is seeing that change in the world, you know, we really believe and be the change that you want to see and, here you are with this past and this garbage, all this trauma that you've, you've gone through. And instead of letting that knock you down and put you on your face and just laying down, you said, no, I'm going to get up and I'm going to make a difference in the world. And that's just, that's just amazing. Yeah, you know, that's a true, down. that's a true, you know, picture of who you are as a person, you know? Thank you. So I'm seeing here that, you know, the food industry is not the only thing that 
you do for fun i'm guessing you're you're a graphic designer you're <laughs> i'm not i'm not the i'm not the designer my ex-wife was the designer oh, okay, okay, but okay. i i i was the business side of things the face the model the selling the doing everything else so again operations was my thing um and they come to the point where i can become quite obsessive in my my compulsions my own realm is not always as organized as what i would organize for others okay. but that's always the, that's always going to be the case for ourselves but like you said buddy it's really important that people nowadays especially without sexualized uh, making it sexualized is that men do need to be able to uh, talk more with one another to be expressive to be able to understand that this is a normalcy it's not something that sugarcoats us to be or defines us as being weak this actually gives us a lot more strength being able to nurture ourselves so like the person when i was in the kitchen when i was growing up i could have become the same abuser that was treated to me that was clearly a pathway in which i could have gone but as you guys stipulate some of us have different core beliefs and it was the values in which i was growing up with my family values old school respect i was taught with a lot of manners and respect and respect and more respect and that is um what i find to be most fundamental now because in the past i used to use that as a story it was i was a victim i was i had had a hard life and i used to learn to know that that was my woe is me story which held me back a lot it was only until i realized that i'm going to face the fact that this is a part of me and has been a part of my life and that maybe the world that I was seeing was a little bit skewed. And that's not always easy for us to face. But people like yourselves having these podcasts and that it allows us to have that forum to, to realize, like you said, authentic people. We don't need more fabrication in this world. We don't need more... Um, publicizing of what is fantastic and what is lovely, we need to talk about how we are in our lifestyles. Real, because it gets to a point now where people are like, oh, you're complaining. Well, where do we have the forum in which we can actually discuss in a like-minded way and go, you know what, I'm struggling. Maybe I'm struggling because of this. Oh, you're struggling too because of that. It, if, it stops us from listening to one another. It just project. We just project. Yeah. So I know for me, I, I think I just have one more question. Um, so knowing where you've come from, knowing where you are, knowing where you want to go, what would you want to share to those watching, those listening? Um, if they haven't started making that change, if they're still in that abusive environment, if they're still being knocked down, um, what kind of advice would you give to somebody? One of the questions that was asked of me to ask myself is what do I deserve? And that is a really hard question for a lot of people to actually answer. And when you start, it's like an iceberg. You start realizing the top of that part of what I deserve or how I deserve. You start to realize the, the web in which you spin around you the people who you serve, whether it be family, your partner, uh, work, colleagues, time, gym, uh, and addiction, these are all parts of our servitude in which we give. 
So my advice to people who are starting this road is just to take a step back, not to challenge who you are. So a lot of the biggest problems that I faced was I'm not this. I'm not there yet. Everybody else expects me to be this. So the narrative was not about me. It was about what others were wanting. And we live like that in our society now. So the advice would be just stop for a moment. Look at where you are in the attachment of the web of life. People are going to be dependent on you. People are going to want things from you. People expect things from you. I spent and had a lot of people in my life that took from me, but never gave back. So with that self-reflection, I realized that was a good start for me. Start surrounding myself with the people I want to be. Oh, that's powerful, man. (laughs) Yoga yoga was a huge one for that. Like Mm -hmm. just being with conscious collective people and just having that was a huge big enough because I was stubborn. I was an asshole and I was very stuck as in this was my way just the the best advice is to try and let those barriers down and the abuse and trauma doesn't make it easy and learning to accept those traumas embrace what it is as a part of you you know my mother was very valuable in giving me a good piece of advice is that you either love what you can't or fix what you can or then love what you can't So if there's a part of you that you don't like and you cannot fix it, then learn to love that part of you. And that's why I've been very grateful being raised by women because in that part there, the mental uh, strain that we all suffer, it comes from our inner monologue most of the time. Mm -hmm. To be able to pick ourselves up and push ourselves and be our own cheerleader that and they not being an arrogant line of that like fuck yeah you're awesome sorry i don't know if i can swear on these podcasts <laughs> i actually i'm glad i haven't sworn I've, i swear less now not being in a kitchen that's what i think is even better <laughs> you're good yeah. Yeah, that, that was awesome man I, I honestly don't have any questions to ask i'm just still you know, reflecting, just still even digesting what you just said about, you know, ask what do I deserve, you know, just take a step back, just assess, you know, and then what you can't change, you just live with and you just kind of love and just work with yourself and surround yourself with people who you want to be around, you know, awesome. And for those that are, for those that are listening, that because, if I had said this to myself at the beginning, I'd be like, what the fuck is your voodoo, voodoo on about? You have, it's not that easy. Mm-hmm. And it's not. Mm-hmm. It's something that you have to discover for yourself, not for anybody else but yourself. Like some days I have spent crying in a corner, sleeping all day because that was the state that I was in. Mm-hmm. And that is okay to be like that sometimes. And that is the the reflection of like men, men, men don't do that. But yeah, we do. We do. We all 
cave, we all crash, we all have our limits, and we all feel as if we're carrying the world, the world on our shoulders. So, everybody, we're all in this together. I found that just asking more questions like you gentlemen have been doing today to be the most valuable in learning about one Malal. Awesome, awesome. Oh. Thank you, Luke. I, I really appreciate your time. You're more than welcome, um, gentlemen. Thank you very much for having me. It's been fantastic um, just getting to talk to you and, and hear your testimony. And I mean, like I said, you know, just hearing where you've come from and, and where you're going, just for me personally, like it just gives me chills just thinking about it again, like, like your dreams and your goals and where you're going. Like that's, that's amazing. You know, Thank you're, you. you're making a change in this world and you're impacting people's lives. Yeah. I try my best. <laughs> Nick, any last final words? Um, hey, Luke, you know, thank you for sharing and, you know, continue to serve, man. You're, you're doing a great job, especially, you know, the children with the healthcare challenges and so forth and, you know, giving off your best to um, support them, helping families, you know, navigate that and so forth. Um, really appreciate that and just want to wish you all the best in your journey and greatness is definitely ahead man you're, you're crushing it you're crushing it thank you very much and thank you both as well for having me on the on the podcast today because uh it feels wonderful to have people like yourselves so genuinely uh asking about people's lives and giving them a forum to share what they've experienced I think it's a wonderful thing, guys. And this is Luke all the way from Australia. <laughs> like another shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome, awesome.